Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. The Action Network Podcast, named best betting podcast or radio show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association and the number one show for the invested sports fan. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the College Football Championship Weekend Betting Preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. You excited to talk some Illinois-Penn State? What is a championship weekend unless we have some Rutgers football and Mississippi State playing this weekend? What other kind of weekend would it be? Wonderful. Find a way to lose money on Mississippi State again. All right, we'll have a segment later in the show on just like our favorite non-championship game. You know, we'll do our underdog money line parlay. We'll throw in some college football playoff predictions, but the bulk of the show, we're going to get to all of the conference championships across Friday and Saturday. Uh, So let's jump right into it. We got a lot to get to. Uh, We'll start Friday night, 7.30 Eastern on ESPN. We have the MAC championship. We have some MAC-tion. You've got wow. to be kidding me. Now, this is peak MAC-tion. It is. Peak MAC-tion. Ball State at BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast, is a 13.5-point underdog, over under 67.5. I'll just – let me get this out of the way right now. Some people have been DMing me. Uh, what do we do with our ball? Like, my only two futures coming into this year were t- – Two conference features, Florida to win the SEC, Ball State to win the MAC. Uh, Ball State, I have nine to one. Florida, I have, I think, five or seven to one. So, you know, you can't get as good of a price on Ball State now, but you can get pretty much a similar price on Florida. What can you do to hedge? Like, I'm not hedging. I'm hoping one just pulls off the upset. If you wanted to hedge, though, you could just throw a money line parlay. If you had both, you could throw a money line parlay in of Alabama and of Buffalo if you wanted to just like get your ensure you get your money back but even then that's gonna be pretty expensive it's not the most hedgeable they're not the most hedgeable conference futures because Alabama and Buffalo both got there from each division so I'm just letting them ride personally but uh looking at this game I I think that this line first of all is too high now Caleb Huntley the star running back for Ball State he's out again which is gonna hurt but I have questions about this Buffalo team and and I'll tell you why And, and this is one of the most fascinating things about this weekend is some of these teams have sample sizes of five games, right? And a lot of those games we came against horrible competition. So if you look at Buffalo, obviously you start with Jared Patterson. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's 
over a thousand yards in a shortened season, 8.3 yards per carry, scored 18 touchdowns. Buffalo leads the nation in yards per play, rush yards per play, scoring offense, blah, blah. Their offensive line is, I mean, number one in pass efficiency, number one in line yards, number one in adjusted sack rate. I mean, it's insane. But if, and if you look at Ball State, Ball State hasn't allowed a lot of explosive plays, but they've been outside the top 100 in rush success rate, which is a little scary. But this is a, a Buffalo offense. I'll start with the offense. And I have questions about all three phases. Every number looks elite, but it's an offense that last year their offensive line was elite, and they do bring back an NFL caliber tackle, but they lost three starters. So is their offensive line still this elite? Look, you have to adjust it for the opponent. There are five games, but here's who they played. They, 40% of their games came against Bowling Green and Akron. Their others came against Northern Illinois and Kent State. Those are two of the other three worst run defenses in the country. And then Miami, Ohio's defensive line lost some pros. All of those defenses I have outside the top 100. The line yards of the opponents on those defenses, 127, 117, 83rd, 80, 88. All State is at least eighth. So they were playing some really small defensive lines and bad run defenses and were able just to abuse them. You saw that against Kent State. Buffalo's going to be able to run the ball, and Patterson's going to get his yards. That's not the question here. My question is, like, is it as elite as we've seen? And can Ball State get a couple stops? That's what it's going to take because I do also have questions about the Buffalo defense. They've only faced one offense all year that's in the top 100. That's Kent State. And Kent State statistically put up close to 600 yards, put up over 40 points. They moved the ball all day. There were some fourth down flukes. And even Northern Illinois put up 30 points, and there were some turnover flukes in, in that game. And then what are you left with? You're left with like Akron and Bowling Green. Like I, and still, despite that schedule, they're 75th in EPA per pass attempt, 83rd in ex- explosive play rate. There's some, I have some questions about this Buffalo defense, and you were talking about this early on in the year when they played Northern Illinois. They were just getting a lot of flukes, and their schedule was just an absolute joke. So I think Drew Plitt will be able to move the ball some here. And then the last phase is Buffalo's special teams. They're among the worst in the nation. Again, they're horrible. Ball State's special teams are elite for a MAC team. MAC teams are usually like the worst special teams in the nation, like 110th, 120th, 125th in the nation, which is where Buffalo is. Ball State, I have like as a little bit above average. So I think this line without Huntley should be, yeah, I could argue it's 10 if you want. And I really stretch my imagination on how good this Buff. Now, maybe Buffalo, their offensive line is this elite and they're just the best offensive line ever now. But. There are some questions I have with Buffalo. So I made this app without Huntley because it's a big drop off to their backup. Nine and a half. So as soon as I got a chance to get 14 and I would buy it to 14, um, I did. So I like Ball State and uh, I think they'll have a shot here. Yeah, definitely a game that I had to grit my teeth when I put it in the action app, Ball State at 14. Once it got to 14 this week, I knew this was the buying point. I don't know how long it's going to last, and I'm risking the fact that maybe it goes even higher. But from a projection standpoint, you just heard stuck on what he makes it. I make it 6.5. If you like SP+, 7.5. If you like Sager and they make it 9, no one in the world – makes it this number and you know really we could back this up by telling you that Sagarin has a strength of schedule for Buffalo at 140th 140th and then when they did face a capable offense like Kent State you heard Stuck say exactly how many yards they put up and so it's really futile for me to sit here and tell you that Buffalo's number one in finishing drives Buffalo's number one in line yards when you play in the Mac East you're supposed to have those kinds of numbers 
So if you look well, at and forty percent of your games this year were against Ackard and Bowling right. Green. Like that's that's but, that's normally like if you were to play four out of your ten normal games against those two teams, which is going to make this bowl season the handicapping the bowl season when your strength of schedule is reliant upon the division that you played in. It's just it's going to be wild, absolutely wild. Like, of course you're going to take a, a two or three win team out of the SEC to beat a, another team from another conference with six wins because that's just how it works. Anyways, back to this game. Nobody in the MAC has been able to stop Patterson. Nobody's been able to stop Jared Patterson. He looks like Barry Sanders, and now he gets to play in Detroit. He's so shifty. Uh, He has the highest yards after contact of any running back in the nation at 5.2 yards after a defender first touches him. I know they're playing Akron and all these other shitty teams, but 5.2 yards after you first been touched is pretty amazing. The weakness really, and we mentioned that with Northern Illinois, is on the defense. 75th in line yards, 116th in stuff rate, and we just mentioned – 140th strength of schedule. So that's pretty bad. That means Ball State should have some success. That should give you some confidence in getting the 14. Uh, And they're highly successful in standard downs, but there's zero explosiveness. The Cardinals have been the most successful in passing downs, second and third and long. They're 15th in success rate, and they're 16th in EPA, which means they're going to be able to make some things happen, third and long, second and long, things like that. The Ball State defense hasn't been able to stop a stable of Mac West high-powered offenses. Uh, we're talking top 30 in defensive EPA, but they're 107th and 122nd success rate. That's a ground air split there. So outside the top 100 in success rate defensively, that's not good. It spells great things for Buffalo. Uh, to me, the biggest difference in this game, if you want to splice all the advanced stats, and I know that they're Mac stats, but the biggest difference in the game is Buffalo offensively on standard downs is first in the nation in success rate. Ball State's defense, 121st defensively success rate standard downs. Buffalo is going to eat on first and second down. They're going to have the shortest yardage on third down of anybody. I'd be shocked if they were in third and long at any point in the game. And one thing that really leads me to my bet is the fact that Ball State's tempo is ninth in the country. So let me get this straight. The other team is going to be able to have explosive runs in standard downs, early downs, probably score pretty fast, and then your tempo is top 10 in the country. Uh, I think there could be a ton of possessions here. Normal possessions, 11, 12 per team in a college football game. There could be 17 here. And what that means is I think that there's going to be a ton of points. Now, if you're looking to split this up about when to get in on Buffalo, maybe you're not too excited about Ball State and the number – Buffalo's highest point differential in the nation is in the third quarter. You're going to hear a lot about a lot of that on the podcast, but they are the top third quarter team in the nation with a plus 15 differential. The changes that Lance Leipold is making in the locker room during halftime has been better than anybody in the nation. I will go back to the 140th strength of schedule, but I would say if you're going to grab on to ball state, just keep in mind third quarter is Buffalo's best amazing stat here and 21 red zone trips for Buffalo. They've scored 20 touchdowns. I know strength of schedule. The play for me, Ball State at 14 if it gets back there, Buffalo's team total over, and over 66 maybe a little bit of money. If Ball State has any chance whatsoever to win this game, this number will sail over the total. Yep, I agree. I mean, Buffalo is a snail, but uh, it's hard to see either one of these teams getting too many stops uh, without some fluke matching. That's the Mac. Go Ball State, Detroit or bust. I love Maction. I love Maction. <laughs> Let's move on to another conference championship game on Friday night. 
Let's talk some Pac-12. Oh my God, who cares? This game is, uh, was supposed to not be this game. This is how crazy 2020 is. Supposed to be USC-Washington. Washington couldn't play, so they just say, hey, Oregon, come play the Pac-12 championship. At BetMGM, Oregon is a three-and-a-half-point underdog, over-under 63-and-a-half. Uh, I could tell you I played the over here. I mean, the Oregon offense has been really good. My guy, Joe Moorhead, who I really like, they lost Herbert. They lost maybe the best offensive lineman in college football who opted out. But the Oregon offense has been awesome. They've just been really unlucky. They're fourth worst nationally in turnover margin per game at minus 1.4. They lost seven fumbles, thrown four picks in just seven games. But they have two junior running backs, C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye, that lead a rushing attack that is – one of 20 in the country to average at least 5.2 yards per carry. I think they'll have a field day on the ground against USC. Their run defense is really weak. And from an efficiency perspective, Oregon's top five in the nation on the ground. And they have a mobile quarterback, Tyler Shuck, who we've seen the Trojans have struggled with mobile quarterbacks in the past two years and earlier this year when they played Arizona State. So that could come in to play. But just overall, Oregon's top 10 in yards per play. And it's just been a really good offense. It's been Pretty unlucky. So there's positive regression that looms here, and that could certainly happen against a USC defense that has holes. On the other side of the ball, USC's offense, they can't really run it, but they can throw it, and they're really efficient doing it with Kelton Slovis and their receivers. And Oregon's defense has been bad. It's allowed 4.6 yards per rush, so maybe that's outside the top 80. Maybe USC can have some success running it, but more importantly, they're 74th in passing success rate. Yeah, they haven't allowed a lot of explosive plays, but this is the air rate. I think that Slovis will be able to move the ball up and down the field through the air, and that shouldn't be surprising with Oregon. I mean, this is supposed to be one of the best defenses in the country, but Brady Breeze, Javon Hyland, Thomas Graham, they all opted out, all starters in their secondary with a lot of NFL talent. They also don't get any pressure on opposing quarterbacks, 97th in sack rate. So I think USC will be able to move the ball. And if USC's down late, we know they'll score three touchdowns in the final minute, so that'll help the over, which I like here if you haven't been able to tell. Um, and then, you know, so I played it at 62. I played it at 62 and a half and 63. I like it up to 64. If I make it like 67, these aren't the two fastest offenses in the world, which is the only concern, but I just don't see many stops. These are two defenses that are outside the top 70 in yards per play allowed outside the top 50 on third downs. So I, I think both offenses move the chains here and move the ball efficiently. So I think this is a high-scoring game. So uh, I took some over. I think that the line is pretty spot on. But I think you're going to argue for the Ducks, which I can't hate because, I mean, USC seems like they escape every week. Yeah, they do. And, uh, you know, two key points uh, for your over is really offensive finishing drives. They have major advantages over their opposing defensive units. Oregon is top 25 uh, in, in finishing drives. USC is 61st in defensive finishing drives. Uh, you know, the same split exists on the other side of the ball. So that's really a good indicator for the over. And yeah, I could absolutely see the, see this be a shootout. But it comes back to my mind that USC is on six days rest. Oregon's on 13. And you say, well, Oregon didn't know that they were going to play USC. So they got it. Well, you know, it's the air raid. They've seen it before. They know how to defend it. Uh, I'm not, you know, that's really not a strong argument. For me, it's more like the health of the USC players with the number of days that they've had off, uh, you know, even though that they are playing at home. Oregon has some very impressive offensive numbers, and if you haven't been paying attention, they entered this season with the lowest returning production rank on offense, and that was back when we thought we were going to have a normal year. 
that was back before anybody in this world was wearing a mask. We knew that Oregon on offense was going to struggle big time and that the strength, the reason why we were buying futures on Oregon was the strength was going to be the defense. So Joel Moorhead comes in and you have to be impressed by some of these numbers. Third in the country in rushing success rate, 12th in the country in pass explosiveness on offense. Yeah, they're 94th in havoc allowed. So that means they're allowing tackles for loss. They're fumbling the ball. And the reason for that is they're so young because of the youth movement that's been going on, especially at the quarterback position. The offensive line has had to fill some holes. Uh, and that's where – and that's what, that number is only going to improve. So Oregon, you know, the crystal ball information, you know, getting a new contract. Auburn makes everybody rich, by the way, just so that as a side note. But crystal ball uh, getting his new contract. Oregon is going to continue to be a buy-on team as crystal ball continues to field a defense – that can probably hang with some SEC teams. So we'll see how this turns out for the Ducks long-term. But, yeah, I do like Oregon here a lot. Everything from the offensive side that I said, uh, there are problems on the defense. You know, the problem for Oregon on defense has been the opt-outs from the beginning of the season, 49 missed tackles and 349 defensive snaps. They do rank 10th in defense in EPA, so they have been able to stop some explosive plays. Uh, Noah Sewell, their highest-graded player in pass coverage or linebacker, and, you know, really from a pressure standpoint, uh, Kavion Thibodeau has 14 hurries, which is double than anybody else on the team for Oregon. So those are two very important pieces on the defense. I'm not saying it's all world and it's going to be able to shut the scoring down in this game. I'm just saying those are two very important names to know. USC is going to be, out with their, be without their star running back. And I think that's a big part of this handicap. The reason why I'm playing Oregon flat out is third downs, both sides of the ball, they have the advantage. Finishing drives, they have the advantage. Rushing the ball, they have the advantage. USC is without their starting running back. And you say, well, it's an air raid offense and they don't run that much. But they do lean on the running game when it's short yardage situations, when they just need a couple yards they need to pick up. USC's not been able to do that all year long. Outside the top 100, line yards, power success, stuff rate. They've been terrible running the ball and controlling the trench. And now they don't have their starting running back. Stephen Carr is still there. Not the same production. 126 in rush explosiveness part of the handicap, not the entire handicap. Uh, you know, I think Oregon, because of this, because of these running, the running back being injured for USC, they're going to allow, they're going to be able to rush three and drop eight. I mean, they're going to be able to play what you should be able to against an air raid offense. So I think that really works in the advantage for Oregon, besides having a whole bunch more extra rest. If you look at Oregon, they've allowed just two passes over 40 yards, 15 over 20 in five games. So you know, they've allowed it around the 20-yard range, but if Slovis is going to try to go 30-plus, it ain't going to happen against Oregon. USC, like I mentioned, we bet USC last week, and, and they had a massive comeback. We got away with having one there. I mean, 4% postgame win expectancy over UCLA. If you played that game 100 times, UCLA would win it 96 times. Stuck was right. He hit the nail on the head. Jaden Daniels with Arizona State, dual threat, gave USC all that they could handle. I think Oregon's rushing offense should dominate the clock. Ducks should be in control of this game from beginning to end. Uh, pass explosiveness is such a big deal. And if the pass is not there, Tyler Show has been able to take off and run. USC defense outside the top 50 in third down conversions. The Ducks are 15th offensively in third down conversions. Ducks in an upset. I don't think you need the points. And yet again, the Pac-12 finds a way to eat themselves up as far as undefeated teams and getting national attention. Don't hate it. We lost a few games. Now we're the Ducks. Yeah. And the Ducks yeah. are undefeated. All right. Yeah. Quack. 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 Quack.
All right. Yeah, I mean, just plus, it just feels like uh, the UFC magic has to run out eventually. We do have one other conference championship game on Friday night, and no, it's not Nebraska Rutgers. Uh, we have the Conference USA Championship 7 Eastern on CBS Sports Network at BetMGM. UAB is a four-and-a-half-point underdog at Marshall, over under 42-and-a-half. Uh, I mean, I feel like I haven't seen any of these – either of these two teams play in months. The only two teams – I think the only team they've played in like two months is Rice. They've each played Rice. UAB barely beat Rice, and Marshall lost 20 to nothing as three touchdown underdogs. So I don't know if that was rust or what. Um, the defensive numbers look elite for both teams, but then I look at Marshall. They played – they did shut down App State. but They played Eastern Kentucky, Western Kentucky, La Tech, FAU, UMass, Middle Tennessee – I mean, just atrocious offenses. UAB had, has played Central Arkansas, Miami early in the year. I mean, they gave up a lot of points to each, they over 30 to each. But then they played South Alabama, UTSA, Western Kentucky, La Tech, and then Rice. Your um, favorite team, and they played, they played. They played ULL. Oh, we're going to get to La Tech for the first bowl <laughs> preview on Sunday night. Um, they played ULL. And did a good job on that offense. So that that's one data point. But, I mean, they, both of these teams have played so many bad teams. Um, I don't have a great feel on this one. My initial feel – my initial look was going to be under. I, I think this one could be ugly. But, the, I mean, the, the total came out really sharp. And it's, what, 40 – I think this opened at 41. Like, it opened at 41 and a half. It's come up to 43. I thought we were maybe going to get, like, a soft opener. Right. Um, so, what do you – Catch us up here and lead us to a winner. You would expect an under here with the cons- considering the amount of time since the teams have played. Their only data point is Rice. Uh, UAB had a 42-day layoff between La Tech on Halloween to the to the Rice win, and uh, you know maybe the rust is there in the first quarter. Maybe maybe worth a first half under. But I mean, I've been burnt by this UAB team before when Lacerno came in as a backup quarterback and decided to throw for like 400 yards and four touchdowns as a backup that we never even heard of. So it's tough to throw a slander around in this game because I love both Bill Clark and Doc Holliday. These are two coaches that I respect immensely. We'll have their teams ready. We know that Bill Clark won us a whole big bet winning this conference two years ago. And he was in, you know, doing his presser earlier this week. And he says that all injuries that he had, which included running back Spencer Brown, the, the workforce of, uh, of the running back stable for UAB, all players that are injured and had COVID-19 are all returning. They are 100% healthy, ready to go. Uh, that's a big deal for UAB. They had a 42-day layoff, like I said, between La Tech and Rice. And Clark mentioned that this team is heavily motivated after what happened in the Louisiana and La Tech game. So if you dig deep into those box scores – UAB had a 63% post-game win expectancy against Louisiana. They should have beat ULL, Billy Napier. And they had a, they had a, a higher post-game win expectancy against La Tech. And so they lost two games that they shouldn't have. They still win the division. They're able to play in this game. But they are heavily motivated by the fact that they feel that they have two losses that were taken away from them. Now, Tyler Johnson III is expected to start. He could split time with Lucerno. Rice, you know, was the first team, believe it or not. Rice was the first team to score 20 against Marshall this season. That's crazy. Now, we talked about how bad Buffalo's strength of schedule is at 140. Marshall's is 130th. So you hear, you know, stuck rattle off those teams. It's pretty bad. And against Rice, I went back and watched the tape of all of Grant Wells' interceptions, all five of them. I mean, it was 
ugly. Uh, the Wells INTs, the first one was a deep throw into triple coverage, no receiver. Uh, he missed a wide receiver by five feet on one. Interception number three was directly at a Rice defensive back uh, as a wide receiver just like took off on a 40-yard post, didn't even turn around. Uh, his fifth INT, he threw a 100-mile-an-hour fastball right off, like uh, at a receiver like maybe nine yards away and bounced right off his shoulder pads. I would say the break and that was mentioned, uh, you know, in the postgame presser, is that the break really hurt Wells. Uh, he is a freshman, and now here we are with another two weeks rest going into play. A havoc-minded, love to pick you off, get into the backfield UAB defense. Uh, you know, Rice had five quarterback hurries and three sacks. Before that game, Rice was outside the top 100 and adjusted sack rate. So I go back to Marshall's strength of schedule at 130. They allowed a team outside the top 100 and adjusted sack rate and Rice to have five hurries and three sacks and like rattle a freshman Wells and, and throwing five interceptions. Uh, I'm banking on Bill Clark here. I think it's the more experienced team. You know, they had no problems beating Rice off of a 42-day layoff. Uh, better coach team, in my opinion. I hate to say that against Doc Holliday. Uh, they'll be ready for this championship game. I bought UAB at five. Uh, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised to see this number drop a little bit before kick. What is the QB health of UAB right now and expected snaps? Tyler Johnson is supposed to play. Like he, He's been cleared, and he said that he's going to start, and he's fine. But uh, there was a note in there that Lucerno is going to share some snaps. But Tyler Johnson the third was completely cleared. All right. That'll wrap up Friday Night Lights as far as the games that matter. Should be some fun ones. Let's move on to Saturday. Saturday should be an amazing day, by the way. We have Championship Saturday. We have NFL games. We have, like, Iowa, Gonzaga. You going Luca Garza or you going Drew Timmy? I don't know. I mean, it's a really tough spot for Gonzaga because they, have, they, they just practiced for the first time in, like, 17 days. Yeah. And then they just found out they're playing Iowa. It's a game I'm going to have to dig on. This game might be in the 90s. I would put McCaffrey at a minus 450 favorite in a fist fight with Mark Few. <laughs> I bet minus 1,000 there's a, if McCaffrey gets a technical on Saturday. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate, but that's the reality of the situation. I'll be able to handle this. Um, I've had a lot of DMs on college basketball, so if we want to update the people, like we do expect to start talking about it in mid-January, right? First or second week of January, we'll have our first episode and. We have a bunch of bowl episodes coming. We'll keep you updated on the exact timing. But just like college football, you'll have these episodes out every uh, Friday morning for the weekend, just like we did last year. But Saturday, we'll kick the day off at noon with college football with the Big 12 Championship at BetMGM, the official outsider of the Action Network podcast. Oklahoma is a five-and-a-half-point favorite over under 57-and-a-half. We were on Iowa State in the first meeting. Uh, They were catching, what, a seven at home. And now they're catching fewer points. There's a bad line. This is in Arlington. They're catching five and a half. We were on the money line. Iowa State there too. Iowa State, nation's leading rusher, Brees Hall. You know, then obviously Brock Tober, which hopefully this is Brock Sember. I like Iowa State here. I make this game closer to a field goal. I know there are some things to like about Oklahoma since that matchup, right? Their defense is playing really well. They have three of the best you know, per PFF, they have three of the best edge rushers in college football, all in the top 10 out of 197 edge rushers that have a minimum of 100 snaps. You got Roddy Perkins, who didn't play in that first matchup, and he makes that defense a lot better. Nick Benino and Isaiah Thomas, all three are in the top 10 of edge rushers. 
Uh, DJ Graham, a freshman corner, he's played real well. He also didn't play in that first match. You know, they also have Stevenson back at running back who didn't play in that first matchup. They were missing a lot of the running backs, some transferred, some opted out. But Stevenson is back. He's ran it well. I think his numbers are a bit inflated because they played Kansas. Uh, if you look against Baylor, that offense really didn't do much at all through the air or on the ground. Iowa State, uh, look, their offensive line has really come along since that opening loss against Louisiana. They had some injuries that game as well up front. But Colin Newell's been the anchor at center. Left guard, Schweiger, he's been awesome filling in for Trevor Downing, who was like supposed to be one of their best offensive linemen. Downing could be back, by the way. Sean Foster has been great. Their left tackle as the season has gone on. And then they have two freshmen on the right side, Simmons and Remsburg, who have just continued to improve. So that offensive line is playing really well. They, as a result, they 10th in sack rate, 13th in passing down sack rate. And the Oklahoma offensive line has been bad. Uh lost a lot of talent and it just hasn't been great. And I think that's part of the reason why this offense just, it's a really good offense still. Don't get me wrong, but it's not an offense that we're used to seeing with Lincoln Riley. It's not elite. It's not a top two or three offense that is just going to go out there and shred and you're going to have to put up 40 or 50 to keep pace. It's more of a, it's the, probably the best defense we've seen in a long time at Oklahoma uh, defense is top 10, EPA. So there are some things to like about Oklahoma here, but Iowa State, I, I just think that you're, and I think that you're going to get to this, by the way. Um, and I will say, look, I got to be fair. Rattler saw this defense. It was his first road game, and he's he, now he's seen this Iowa State defense, so I'll have more familiarity with it. But Iowa State is, and look, these are two top 25 offenses from yards per play, and two top 10 rush defenses. They're both allowing 3.1 yards per rush or fewer. What I think the difference will be is the secondaries. And I trust Iowa State's secondary more than Oklahoma's, and I trust Purdy not to make the key mistakes. Rattler has cleaned them up for sure. That was the difference in the first game. I think you're probably – maybe you'll talk to Havoc numbers, but if you – and Havoc allowed, and that speaks to the youth, the inexperience of Rattler. I know Oklahoma's been improving. Their defense is really good by all metrics, but their offense isn't as good, and we have to just chill out a little bit. They played Baylor. They won 27-14. Baylor was terrible this year. They played Oak State. Oak State's offense is a disaster this year. They, the game before that, they played Kansas. The game before that, they played Texas Tech. These are all disastrous offensive lines and bad offenses this year. And then before that, they played TCU. And then, you know, they played Texas, they go up 45. They played Iowa State, they go up 37. They played Kansas State, gave up 38. So this is kind of like Alabama, where we're saying the defense is now all fixed and it's great and it's all roses. And uh, But I don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily think it's all solved on the back end. Alex Grinch is doing a wonderful job with this defense. This defense a couple of years ago is the worst, worst power five defense in the country. They're going to get a lot of pressure. They're going to be aggressive, but they're going to give up explosive plays. I think Purdy can take advantage. Brees Hall can take advantage, just like did in the first matchup. Rattler makes a mistake or two. I think this game goes either way. Um, but I'll take I, I'll take the six. Um, if it gets up to seven and there's Oklahoma money in the market because of some of these improvements on Oklahoma, I'll take more at seven. Thoughts? Yeah, that's what I've been waiting for all week is seven, and and I, I'm going to echo sentiments that you have about the narrative that's been built around Oklahoma. I mean, maybe I'll be wrong on this, but 
there is some sort of thing going around that I've heard this week where it's Oklahoma has greatly improved and Spencer Rattler has become much more comfortable in the pocket since the last time these two teams met. Oklahoma's defense is Grinch here too. It's playing so much better than it has the last time these two teams met. Hold on. That's horseshit. All right. Quit populating my eardrums with horseshit. This is bullshit. (laughs) When Oklahoma played Iowa State, if you look at the advanced stats, things have not changed. Spencer Rattler posted a 58% success rate. He threw for 300 yards. He was hurried three times and had two sacks. Let's look at the game since then. Baylor, four sacks, one hurry. hurry. Rattler, 57% success rate. Against Oklahoma State, 58% success rate, one hurry, three sacks. TCU, he threw for 332 yards uh, on 13 completions, but a 55% success rate. The same success rate and the number of yards and the times he was pressured was the same in Iowa State as it has been in the wins since. That is not why they lost the game. The reason they lost the game is because of how terrible they were against explosive plays in the second half, and they gave up a kick return for 63 yards that landed at like the OU 13. And so that's really the difference. Oklahoma's explosive play defense must step up. Second half against Iowa State. Iowa State had drives of three plays, 75 yards. Four plays, 55 yards. A 63-yard kick return for field position at the 13 and an eventual ISU touchdown. That's what happened in the second half of the game, and that was the difference. Now, is that going to change? Has Oklahoma shown me enough against the Oklahoma States and the Baylor offenses of the world to make me think that this isn't going to happen in the second half? Brees Hall, you know, the quietest Heisman campaign run I've ever seen in the history of Heisman runs uh, will be why. Nation's leading rusher. No one even knows. It's insane. I mean, he, he, he's the reason that Iowa State's going to cover and probably win. Iowa State is top 20 in standard down success rate, and that's evident by success rate numbers in Russian pass. It doesn't matter how you split it, Brock Purdy or Brees Hall. They are really violent on offense in early downs. They are getting it done. Oklahoma's been decent in standard downs. They're 38th in defensive success rate, but the explosiveness is where the problem is. In first and second down, Oklahoma cannot handle an offense that is trying to shoot deep, that is shooting threes against them, to use an NBA term. Welcome back, NBA. Oklahoma is 124th on defense during standard downs against explosiveness. Brees Hall and Brock Purdy are going to find ways again to expose that. Matt Campbell's an amazing coach. Uh, Both these teams are top 10 in offensive finishing drives, so I do think there's going to be some points, 67 points last time these teams played. You know, what are we sitting at, 58 right now in the market? I know that that game last time had some field positions, some really good uh, appealing field positions for those easy scores, probably why the game sailed over to 67. But I prefer the over in here, but I'm I'm with you. I want Iowa State. If it's a six and a half, I'll buy the hook to get to seven just to ensure it. I think they're worth a money line play. Uh, I don't want to play five and a half. There's no reason to play five and a half. We're going to go one way or the other. I doubt the game lands on five. I've seen crazier things this year. I love Iowa State here. And Oklahoma is just not going to be able to stop standard downs explosiveness. Nothing has changed with that over the last four games. And this narrative about how they've gotten better on both sides of the ball, that stuff needs to stop. Yeah, they've also just not played anywhere near the talent caliber of Iowa State and Texas and all those teams they were playing earlier in the year where some of the things look shaky. All right, so we're in agreement there.
Let's stay in the noon slot for the Big Ten championship. And this was another one where we, I think we just said we're putting Ohio State. And Ohio State has five wins. Northwestern is six and one. Ohio State at BetMGM is currently a 20-point favorite, juiced, minus 125, over under 56 and a half. So, I mean, this, this game's really hard for me to cap. Uh, we talked about Ohio State. We think that they have issues in their secondary with allowing explosive plays. They lost all the pros in their secondary, three pros in the first three rounds of the NFL draft. We saw some of that against Indiana. Other than that, I mean, they've played Penn State. when Penn, Penn State moved the ball a little bit, too. The other games were against Nebraska, Rutgers, Michigan State. So it's like, okay, I think this could be an issue in the college football playoff. Is it going to be an issue this weekend? I, I mean, Northwestern is no explosiveness whatsoever. Their offense is terrible. It's close to a bottom 30 offense. Peyton Ramsey is the Indiana transfer, their quarterback. He gives them a little bit of a prayer of moving the ball through efficient passes. Like, I, I mean, I'm talking about compared to last year. This is a bottom 10 offense last year. They can at least – he can at least complete some passes, some forward passes that they couldn't do last year. Um, but it's still a bad offense overall. Not really efficient on the ground, and no one's really running on Ohio State. And on the other side of the ball, Northwestern's defense has been really good, but this is a big step up in class. The Ohio State offense has been really good. Northwestern's played Iowa, Maryland, uh, Nebraska, <laughs> Purdue, Wisconsin, and Sparty. And then recently, Illinois. So it's like, um, this is a major step up for them. So there's two sides of the coin here. I mean, I, I don't, I can't envision Northwestern completely stopping Ohio State. How much can they contain Ohio State? So how many points can they hold them to? Is it 30? Is it, what is realistic? Is it 35? Is it 40? And then what can Northwestern do to potentially take advantage of some of the vulnerabilities in Ohio State's back end. And I'm not sure they can, but that's what will decide the total. How many points Northwestern can score? Because I think Ohio State's at least getting to 35. How many points can Northwestern score? That'll decide the total and the side. Uh, what do you think here? Yeah, I did my best. When you handicap these kinds of games, when you see these teams that are making the college football playoff and, and you know, the feeling is, is, can you make a case for the dog? And if you can't, I mean, you can't make a living as a gambler just betting underdogs all the time. You have to realize that favorites have just as much value. I know <laughs> playing favorites can be square, but uh, they cover too. And so I think what I tried to do in this game is make a case for Northwestern. Mike Hankwitz, great defensive coordinator for Northwestern. He's been there since 2008. He'll be retiring after this season. He's gone up against Ryan Day twice since Ryan Day took over play calling in 2017. Uh, two years ago, <laughs> had to eat my words. Uh, we, we had Darren Ravel join us two years ago this week. I remember, uh, at action network because he's a Northwestern alum. And I sent him an email and I said, take Northwestern in the points at 17 against Ohio state in the big, big 10 championship. And, uh, you know, Ohio state in the fourth quarter figured something out, scored an extra touchdown and covered the game. An exact same scenario, just like this, where like, you know, Ohio State's getting 90% of the money, 90% of the tickets, they still covered. And so when you look at Ryan Day versus Mike Hankwitz over the last two times, Ryan Day has figured Hankwitz out and the defense and has been able to, and I know the offenses are different. I know that there's a lot of star, star power missing, but Justin Fields is still there. 
And I think that Ryan Day just has the advantage here. I think he's going to know how to call the game. And nothing has changed in Northwestern's tendencies. I mean, I went deep. They're, they, they're still in a 4-3, just like they have been the last couple of years. They're still sending blitzes at a high at the highest rate. It's when it's second and six or less. That's when they send a blitz. Like 50% of the time, they're sending a blitz. So it's actually a very predictable defense. Uh, they've just been playing out of their mind with a lot of experiences here for Northwestern. But what I wanted to do was go and see – when Northwestern actually faced a good offense, what happened? So two offenses that are ranked in the top 50 in SP plus are Purdue and Nebraska. Now two different teams, Purdue likes to pass, Nebraska likes to run. Purdue, terrible in standard downs against Northwestern. They were excellent in passing downs. They had seven passes of 15 plus yards. Half of the rushing attempts were stuffed. Northwestern had zero quarterback hurries and three sacks against Purdue, but Purdue was able to generate seven passes of 15 plus yards. That's Purdue's offense right? So then you look at Nebraska, a running team. They were 62% success rate in standard downs when you run at 5.5 yards per play on rush attempts. They had seven runs over 12 plus yards. The problem with Nebraska, why they didn't make that a game is they averaged 1.5 points per trip past the 40. Nebraska moved the ball just fine against this Northwestern D. They just couldn't get any points on the board. So my point to that whole little story is, is when Northwestern's defense has faced a top 50 offense, And when you focus in on what those offenses do, whether it's pass or run, both those offenses had success. So I don't – I mean, I kind of woke up this week and thought, man, Northwestern's defense, if they play their top game, they can shut Ohio State down and actually have a chance. I think that's wrong because I've seen Purdue's pass and I've seen Nebraska's run have their way with Northwestern. It's just that they failed at the goal line. I don't think Ohio State is going to fail at the goal line. So when you, you know, take all that in, you turn around, you look at the handicap on Peyton Ramsey – against the Ohio State secondary. Peyton Ramsey, 7 of 12 against Illinois last week. 21 of 43 against Michigan State with two INTs. Uh, 39% success rate against Wisconsin. He averaged 2.5 yards per play on passing downs. Is that even possible? 2.5 yards per play on a passing down? So I have no money on this game. I make it 19.5. I make the total 58. What I really want to bet is I want to fluke Northwestern special teams or defensive touchdown early. And if that's it, and I can get all – and the odds makers are going to be slow to move this number. They're going to be slow to drop this thing below 14 unless Northwestern's really looking like they're in trouble. But we've seen crazier things. I'm going to look for some Ohio State live. Uh, I, I think they're going to be able to have their way here. If they come out blazing and they're up 35-0 at the beginning, fine. Missed opportunity. We move on to the next game. But – I'm not here to bet on every single game on the Saturday card. I'm here to find edges and value and maximize my investment. And right now there's just none of that on the side or the total. I will say this. There is a prop out there. If you can find it, Ohio state winning by 13 to 18 points is plus 425. Ohio state winning 19 to 24 points is plus 450. I mean, instead of getting guac on your Chipotle bowl, I mean that, that could be fun. That could be fun if you want a little side exotic action. Uh, for me, no play, end game, Ohio State, if some fluky field position shit happens. It is Northwestern voodoo. And Fitzgerald yeah. usually does have his team over overperform expectations, but they're definitely at a big disadvantage here from a talent perspective. The NFL season is upon us, and our friends at BetMGM Sports are offering Action Network podcast listeners a great sign-up offer. Just make your first deposit using the bonus code ACTIONPOD and receive a 100% deposit match up to $500. 
They've got parlay bonus payouts, live betting markets, daily odds boosts, all sorts of great stuff. So download the BetMGM app today or visit BetMGM.com to sign up and use the code ACTIONPOD to double your bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. As a reminder, you must be 21 or older and physically located in the great states of Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promo offer not available in Nevada. And now, back to the show. All right, let's let's talk about a game that's a little more intriguing that has definitive college football playoff implications for both teams. I don't think Northwestern's getting into college football playoff even with a win. Sorry, Daryl. <laughs> but we're, uh, let's talk ACC championship. At BetMGM, Clemson's a 10.5-point favorite, over under 60.5. Clemson wins. We assume they're in. Notre Dame wins. They're in. Notre Dame loses. They still could be, and we'll talk about that later in the show. But these two teams met earlier in the year, and it was a thriller. Notre Dame was a five-point home underdog, won 47-40. In overtime, uh, I should say double overtime. Now, Clemson's now laying 10.5 in Charlotte. Uh, you know, if you go back to that earlier game, obviously Trevor Lawrence didn't play. If you look at it like from an EPA per play perspective, Clemson was the better side. And Book played incredible, especially late, especially on third downs. I mean, he played so well. But if some of the, one of the things that I really did notice was Clemson's passing offense really – I mean, look, look at the first half, 0.61 – EPA per play run negative 0.82. If you look at where when DJ was throwing the ball down the field, I mean, it it was incredible how much success that they were having. And Notre Dame just said we're going to stop Travis Etienne, and they did, and they took him completely out of the game. And Clemson, I think, was a little bit too stubborn. So I think that this total is a little bit too high, but I think it will come down to how Clemson attacks Notre Dame here. And if Notre Dame says we're going to just stop Travis Etienne again, because I think that Clemson, if that's the case, isn't going to bother running the ball here. And they're going to be attacking downfield, which I thought was a huge red flag error for Notre Dame. And it still might be, but if you're a Notre Dame fan, you can at least point to that recovery in the North Carolina game when they gave up 14 quick points and then shut down the North Carolina offense. Obviously Trevor Lawrence is on a different level here. Uh, that North Carolina offense is really good. So I'm interested to see how this plays out from a scheme perspective. I do show a tad bit of value on Notre Dame because I make this under 10. Um, but I think that's what's really going to make or break this game. Uh, I lean Irish here. I don't think I want to get involved in the total because I'm not sure how Notre Dame is going to play this. Um, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, it's a game that I make 65 on the total, which is above where the market is. But at the same time, every – little piece of data I uncover, I think that this game is going to go under. So I've stayed away from the side, but like you, I made this a single digit power rated ball game, which is why I took Notre Dame plus 11 on, I think Sunday night or Monday morning. Uh, and I'm willing to come back and fire on, on Clemson because this is just a market that's screaming that Clemson's going to win this game by double digits. Uh, I mean, even though statistically everything that I look at and everything my eyeballs tell me Notre Dame should cover this game and have a chance to win the market is telling me something completely different is that Clemson's going to win this game by double digits. But 
if we dive into this, and the reason why I say this, like Clemson minus four and a half loses in South Bend. They play two games, and now they're minus ten and a half on, on a neutral field three games later. I mean, that's a hell of an adjustment. That's a Florida-Alabama type adjustment that we'll talk about later. And Obviously, they get Trevor Lawrence back too, which does help. I, yeah, and the thing is, is like you talked about it. DJ was fine from a success rate standpoint. He, he played a really yeah. good – there was no drop-off in DJ's numbers versus what Trevor has put up before. So, I, you know, and I know that from a Vegas perspective, they don't really look as deep as we do. Uh, but we just know that success rate and what DJ did and the advanced stats was the same as what Trevor's doing. So when you think of Clemson in 2021, don't worry about the drop-off at the quarterback position if anybody was. Yeah, the, the, the issue in the first game was, uh, I mean, Book was awesome. Yeah. And he was attacking downfield too. But it was the Clemson play calling. It, like they, they didn't I agree. They throw enough. And then if you flip to the other side of the ball, which I think is a big handicap in this game, is is Skowski and Jones. Mike Jones Jr. and James Skowski, two linebackers for Clemson. They did not play in that Notre Dame game, and those two linebackers are the highest-graded pass coverage defenders on the Tigers' defense. Mike Jones Jr. is back for this game. Uh, Xavier Thomas was suspended the first half. I don't think he even recorded a tackle in that game. But Skowski has been cleared to play, and it says that he's healthy and he's going to play, but we're looking at a torn groin, a sports hernia surgery, and this is the first time he'll be on the field since all of that happened. Skowski calls the plays on defense. He lines everybody up. There's been just, you know, with with, with the Venables, you know, Venables Jr. here, uh, Tyler or Jake, there's so many of them on the field, but the Venables, Jake Venables, the linebacker that's filled in, You've seen an increase in missed tackles, missed assignments, and that's because Skowski's the one that calls the plays and gets everybody lined up correctly. So having him on the field just from a captain perspective is a huge plus for Clemson. Uh, but how good is he going to be running down, you know, crossing routes? How good is he going to be plugging holes? Uh, we're going to have to see that. The thing that I come back to with Clemson is it's interesting to look at the Virginia Tech game, you know, a game where you and I both had the Hokies and we felt pretty good about ourselves after the first quarter, Virginia Tech gained seven yards per play and had a 62% offensive success rate before the injuries hit every Hokies quarterback. Uh, The final score was extremely misleading because Virginia Tech was very much in that game until that happened. Clemson's biggest issue is defending standard downs explosiveness. They're 91st in the country, which is why you may see Ian book take shots at the, and definitely at the 10 yard, 15 yard range, you know, that, and I think Tommy Rees, who has been heavy rushed the entire season as the offensive coordinator for Notre Dame, he opened up the playbook uh, against Clemson and made it an even distribution of run and pass. And then, you know, once Notre Dame got past that game back to the heavy rush, I think we open it back up and Notre Dame will be throwing some more, which is a feather in, you know, the, the side of, uh, you know, the over here. Uh, but there's just one thing, and I know it's, it's a statistical thing in the box, and it's an eyeball thing stuck. That Notre Dame domination of North Carolina, especially in the second half, I can't get over it. Sam Howell had one explosive drive in the entire game and a 21% success rate in the fourth quarter and 24 rushing attempts by UNC. Notre Dame stuffed 15 of 24. I can't And then get we over see UNC go put up 800 points against Miami after if Notre Dame and Clark Lee, the new Vanderbilt head coach, can't wait to see the offensive coordinator hire there, if, if they play the way that they did against North Carolina, Travis Etienne's going to get shut down again. And what the hell was Trevor Lawrence throwing it directly to a Virginia Diablo uh, for Virginia Tech in the end zone? 
I mean, stared right at the outlet. He threw another one that got dropped. It would have been a pick six. Are we sure? I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. As somebody that has essentially adopted Trevor Lawrence and is my household name the last three years, are we sure that Trevor Lawrence is an upgrade from DJ? I'm not exactly. I mean, after I saw what happened at Virginia Tech, and maybe he'll prove me wrong here. You know, maybe maybe it's just a little fluke, and he's getting warmed up after the COVID. Uh, we'll see. So you know, both defenses. Here's the reason why I lean to the under. I know I project 65. I have to take. I'll take a ten and a half right now. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I, I know, I know, right? I mean, ten. And, and if it goes under, now, listen to this. This is what really made my mind up that I'm gonna stick tight on believing that this is an under game. Both defenses, top eight, and opponent drives of two minutes or less. The defenses get the other team off the field. Top 13 and drives of six plays or less. This could be a three and out punt fest. These defenses are excellent in getting the other team off of the field. Uh, We've talked about how Clemson's rush has been broken all year long. I don't know where Trevor Lawrence is throwing the ball. The Skowski is what's going to make up my mind here. I've got Notre Dame plus 11 in my back pocket. I'm going to watch Skowski move in the first two drives. If I don't see him keeping up with crossing routes and I don't see him plug into A, B, and C gap on rushing attempts, I'm going to let the Notre Dame thing run, and I might take him live. But if Skowski is full health, then, you know, both defenses should absolutely roll in this game, which plays into, you know, a low total. It should play in a Notre Dame too. I just can't get over that the market, the market in my eyes, and it's not always right, but, you know, Notre Dame is just taking hellacious amounts of tickets and money. That number, every time it dips to nine and a half, scoop back up, pinged as quick as possible. Yeah, I'm doing it. Uh, (laughs) Live action here on the podcast. Plus, we're fans of Brian Kelly now. He – since he didn't get in against Georgia Tech. Then he covered when I had him against Notre, against Clemson. Right. So we liked him there. And then I had BC plus 14 and a half, and he didn't punch it in late, and they gave a like, touchdown to BC. So he got back on our good side. And then we had – actually, he might be back on our bad side now because then I had UNC, and then I had the Syracuse under, and Notre Dame's defense didn't show up. Clean it up, Kelly. Get back on my good side. <laughs> Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. We're going to get to Florida, Alabama. We got two other conference championship games to get to quickly before that. We got to talk chants, chants, yep. Triple C Nation. Hey there, it's producer Matt. It is with a heavy heart that I report that the Sun Belt Championship game was indeed canceled shortly after this podcast was recorded, and the conference will name co-champions. And I know what you're thinking. It's fucked up, but that is the way it is. But as always, when thinking or betting about the Sun Belt, always remember. And also, don't let the ladies come between you and the belt. All right. Uh, last one before we get to Alabama, Florida. We have eight Eastern on ABC, the AAC Championship. This is the third time these teams are supposed to have played, I think. Hopefully, it still goes on. At BetMGM, Cincinnati is a 14 point favorite. At home, over under 45 and a half. Uh, look, I'll, I'll tell you my cap on this game. The Tulsa offense is pathetic. I mean, it really is. They. This is a team – I like the first half under. Let me just throw that out there first. 
first half under 23. I think it's out there now. Tulsa is averaging. You're not even going to believe this. This is a team in the AAC championship game, a team that's six and one. They're averaging eight points per first half. Eight. That's 121st out of 127 FBS teams. Here's the teams that they've that have averaged fewer. Arizona, Utah State, UMass, Bowling Green, Vandy, and Kansas. That's it. And meanwhile, since he's allowing nine points per first half, it's top 15 nationally. Tulsa scored one touchdown combined in their past four games. They've averaged four points per first half in those four games against ECU, SMU, Navy, and Tulane. These aren't top 20 defenses. The offense just isn't working, they, especially early on. For whatever reason, Zach Smith is rusty as hell. They also are not efficient. They can't run the ball. Uh, they can't run the ball at all. They, I mean, I know that they lost their Shamari Brooks before the year started to torn ACL. They're 90th in rushing success rate, averaging four yards per carry. That's the 79th in the country. And then you have Cincinnati, who's one of the best pass defenses in the nation. So I don't know how they can move the ball. Basically, what Tulsa has done every game this year, and I've made money on them doing it, except that total that two-lane game in overtime. They've relied on, like, Hail Marys, getting down 21, and then just chucking it and hitting explosive plays to come back. Yep. I, they're just not an efficient offense. So I don't see them doing anything against Cincy. And you might have some rust here. These teams haven't played in a while. I'm sure Marcus Freeman, who's one of my favorite defensive coordinators, will come up with something here. Uh, he's one of the best in the business. So first half under allows me to avoid the late Tulsa magic. And also, if Cincy is up a lot and wants to run it up, uh, and make a statement to the committee and that they, they've dropped and are basically out of the college ball playoff running now. I, I mean, this is a Tulsa team that has been shut out in a couple first halves this year. 16 off at 16 points in the first half over the last four games against non-elite defenses. That's crazy. Tulsa offense, 80th in success rate, 70th in explosiveness. Like even They're not even great in explosiveness overall. They just hit timely explosive plays. That's not going to last forever. So, and this Cincinnati defense is elite. And uh, the Tulsa defense is also really good, by the way. I haven't even mentioned that. Yes, Cincinnati's offense has been better. Ritter's been better. But this is the best defense Cincinnati's faced by far. Jackson player up front. Collins at linebacker. I mean, there's some talent in this Tulsa secondary. Some long corners. Uh, so, Tulsa's defense, I think, can hold its own here. Uh, I like the first half under. What are your thoughts here? Well, you know, if Bryn Davis is a quarterback, third-string quarterback, then maybe we can get some offensive points on the board, right? I mean, that game against Tulane was one of the craziest things I've ever seen. Uh, I want to echo your sentiment about Tulsa's been able to pull shit out of their ass and bang explosive plays, and that shows in the stats. Because Tulsa's terrible in success rate. Tulsa is terrible in explosiveness, but there is one area where they're really good. Tulsa is 26th in the nation and passing downs explosiveness. It's almost like they can't function unless they're in third and 13, second and 12, third and 20. It's like this offense is not capable of doing anything unless they are completely out of range from getting a first down. And, you know, I think that's the way that this game is going to be able to play out. Cincinnati should absolutely, the defense should absolutely be able to shut Tulsa down in so many different scenarios. But, man, if it's third and 16 and Cincinnati needs a stop, that's when you need to, you know, kind of cross your fingers because I feel like Tulsa has a better chance of getting a first down the farther they are away from the yard markers. Uh, Yeah, that Tulane game, they had like fourth and 13. They would convert like multiple times, and then they had a Hail Mary they completed. like, And then they they scored a 99-yard pick six. Like these are how they they score this year. 
And it's not a one-off. I mean, that is an actual statistical measure in passing downs. They're 26 in explosiveness. They just love high-pressure situations and long di- – I don't know what the hell – I don't know how you train a club to be good at only that, but that's what Tulsa is. They're the scramble master. They're the busted play master. So, listen, I made a tweet about motivation in this game, uh, like all the trolls that like to fave all the people that like to respond to me. Uh, listen, this is personal to Tulsa. It absolutely is. I mean, I don't want to hear it. I mean, Tulsa was going to have homecoming. It was a really big deal because Oklahoma and Oklahoma State did not play that weekend, and the state of Oklahoma – and the eyeballs and the news, everything was going to go to the University of Tulsa. That's a really big deal to that program, especially from a recruiting standpoint. And Cincinnati decided to not make the trip. Homecoming is ruined. Then Luke Fickle says, ah, we could have made the trip. I don't know what you to pull this amateur bulltrap, all right? Do you hear me? Do you understand me? And so now we have this back-to-back game set up. And wouldn't you know it, Cincinnati has COVID, and AAC comes out and says, well, Cincinnati will be the ones to host the championship game. Why in the Sam Hill would Cincinnati go to Tulsa when they've been guaranteed a home field game for the championship? So really what Cincinnati did, and I'm not saying, you know, I don't want to accuse them of not having COVID. I don't want to accuse them of dodging Tulsa the entire season. But what you did by not playing these games is you kicked your own ass out of the college football playoff discussion because you've dropped each week you haven't played for the sake of the fact of having home field advantage for your conference championship. So enjoy your AAC championship home field advantage, but you actually, in my belief, had a real shot to make the college football playoff. You could have pulled a BYU and Coastal and actually done something about it. Maybe play Texas A&M. I don't know, but I really think, you know, Cincinnati is the reason, their own fault. You know, that being said. Way Tulsa, to rep your town, by the way. You're repping your town right now. Yeah, well, I love, I, listen, I mean, I, I live here, and and I can't tell you, I was married. My God, I forgot about this. My ex-wife was a, a Tulsa grad, so I, I hear about this shit all the time. And You forgot you were married? Is that why you're divorced? No, a long time ago I was. Um, it feels like a lifetime ago. Um, I mean, like, that, that was a really big weekend uh, for Cincinnati to pull out of. And where does that factor into motivation? I mean, can you get extra motivated for a conference championship game? Let me just say this as somebody that's, like, had a professional career for 20 years. You can prep yourself and you can be ready, but when things become personal – your focus and your drive and your motivation is just, it's, you know, it's just, it's even more. And I feel like Tulsa is going to be that way. And I agree with you, Stuck. I think the first half under is a great play. I think the defense, I think Zayvon Collins will be playing out of his mind. I think he'll be all over the place. And I see everything that tells me that Tulsa is going to be able to stop this Desmond Ritter explosiveness, especially from a passing perspective. Uh, when Desmond Ritter takes off out of the pocket, Zayvon Collins is going to be able to track him down. I think that's going to be his mission objective for the game. So I agree with you on the first half under. Uh, I make the game 12 and a half. I want to side with Tulsa here. I feel, you know, I didn't get a piece of that 16 and a half uh, out of the market early in the week. And now I'm just kind of hanging around on 14, 14 and a half. Not sure if I'm going to buy it pregame. I agree with your first half under. I like Tulsa in this game. Uh, but Cincinnati, you're the reason that you're not that you're dropping in the college football playoff rankings, and you can only blame yourself for not making it into the playoff. Tulsa, I think it's formerly known or still known as the oil capital of the country. Oh, absolutely. We have the Tulsa driller here. He's like a 60-foot-tall statue. Uh, there's oil rigs in people's backyards here in Midtown. Um, you know, I live like two miles from Southern Hills where the PGA Championship was in 2007, the Tiger one. Like, it, there's a lot of money in Tulsa, a lot of oil money in Tulsa, and – the university is private, right? And so it's really hard for recruits because you have to remember, it's only a 90-minute drive over to Fayetteville. So Arkansas comes in and takes all the baseball players. 
takes some football players. Oklahoma State, Stillwater's an hour away. They come in and take football players. OU gets their pick of the litter out of the entire state. And Oklahoma high school football, they have like three or four teams that are ranked nationally, ranked nationally. Oklahoma football high school is a really big deal. So all I'm trying to say is this is a very, very personal game for Tulsa. All right, there you have it. That's enough about the uh, 918. Let's move on to the (laughs) SEC championship. Our final conference championship game we'll cover. I'm excited for this one, even though it's a high spread. There's a bunch of high spreads, large spreads this weekend, but uh, I'm excited to watch these two offenses play at BetMGM. Alabama's a 17.5-point favorite, over under 74.5. I'll keep this simple. I said it last week. I tweeted it already. I don't need to go too in-depth here. I said, all right. Here's what happened. Florida lost to LSU. Bring, drive up that line. Give me over 17. And it happened, and I got over my over 17, and I'm happy. I don't think this gets to 20, so I didn't want to wait. But if you only have 17 at your book, there's 17 and a half out there right now. You wait. There's, I mean, the whole world's going to bet Bama here. They're 8-2 and two against the spread, and they're Alabama. They're the clear best team in the country. I don't doubt that. But this line, I, I make a very, a very, very small touch under 14, so I will gladly take 17 and a half. And the Alabama offense is elite. There's, yeah, I don't need to go there. The Florida defense is not that good, especially against the pass. They're 97th, I think, in explosive passes. That's not great against Alabama. They're not going to get many stops. But I think Florida's offense can keep up. Why do I think that? Well, number one, last week, why we're getting value here in this line is because what happened with Florida last week. And, you know, people just see Bama crush – more and more teams, but Florida was clearly looking ahead to this game, and they didn't even play their best player in Kyle Pitts. The matchup nightmare. This is one of the top three, along with Devontae Smith, one of the top three pass catchers, wide receivers, or tight end. He's more, I mean, he's basically a wide receiver in, in the country. They didn't play him. But this Alabama, look, Alabama started off the year, they played Missouri, Texas A&M, and then Ole Miss. And after that Ole Miss game, everyone, including us, said, there's some questions about this Alabama pass defense outside of Sertain. And then over time, they definitely have improved. That's what's going to happen as you get games under your belt. But now everyone just says, oh, the Alabama defense is fine and they're, they're, everything's great. But think about it. That Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, they threw for just under 400 yards. They scored 48 points. They averaged 13, over 13 yards per pass. Here's who Alabama's played since then. Georgia with Stetson Bennett. He's been, since been benched. Mississippi State with K.J. Costello. He's since been benched. Tennessee with Guarantano. He's since been benched. LSU with Finley, he's since been benched. I mean, uh, the list goes on and on. They played then Kentucky, one of the worst passing offenses in Power 5, Bo Nix. Bo Nix season in full effect. And then Arkansas. And then Arkansas, the Franks was hurt, played still, then got hurt, and then Jefferson came in, and then Jefferson got hurt, and Franks had to go in there hurt again. And Franks moved the ball a little bit early on in that game. So my point is that they've really played no good passing offenses and in four or five of them, they play backup quarterbacks. So their road has been very easy. They haven't played a top five passing offense like Florida has when Pitts is in there. So I think Florida can move the ball and score enough. And basically, this is just – I have value in the line. But I think that they can score enough. Bama's going to get their points to get into the 30s, which is what I think they'll need to do to cover this number. And if Bama is up 21 or 24 late, which is why I think that 17 and a half is important, Bama's up 24. You have Florida's offense and Trask and Pitts to go down there and get you a backdoor cover. So give me the Gators, 17 and a half. Uh, this line was 14. Say Florida won by 20 last week. And this line was 14, which was possible. I probably wouldn't be playing this, but give me 17 and a half. I'm taking Florida. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And, and uh, 
you know, it's crazy because Alabama got done putting an ass whooping on Arkansas and the, the line, there were a number of places offering a look ahead line and the number was at 12 and a half. Uh, there was a specific place out in Las Vegas where I was making phone calls like, please put this in on the app for me now. And so that number, I, I was able to get a piece of 13 and a half right as Florida and LSU kicked. Uh, after that first offensive possession, I'm like, you know, I got to fire on this now because if this doesn't turn out well, uh, I think the number will be over 14. And sure enough, you know, Marco Wilson's throwing a shoe. Dan Mullen didn't see a thing. And Cade York is kicking a football to Saturn. So, you know, next thing you know, we got a point spread of 17. That number is crazy. I mean, that's crazy. There's nobody that makes and it. And a half. And a half. And, and you know, I, I think something – it reminds me of something last year where none of us could power rate LSU properly. And there's this – you know, to, to, to reference Sagarin, Sagarin has a power rating, but then they have a recency bias power rating where they give more weight to the last couple games – and that was really the only way to handicap LSU last year. LSU 2019 was just a magical season. What well, I news for everybody from a success rate standpoint for offense and defense, Alabama's doing better than what we saw to Joe Burrow last year. That is crazy talk because what we saw last year was one of the most perfect seasons an offense could ever have. And now I'm telling you that Bama from a success rate standpoint is better. And by the way, success rate is the biggest indicator of how great a team actually is. So all that being said, we have to figure out, uh, you know, where the ceiling is for this Alabama team. Now, to Stuck's point about this number at 17, it's really important. If you think that Alabama being up by 27 or 24 with four minutes left and Dan Mullen isn't rushing Trask and Pitts and Kadarius Toney down the field to get a back door, there's a New Year's Six bowl game here at stake. And JT Daniels is, you know, I know he's not going to get his playing time against Vanderbilt and all that, but Georgia's right on that tail. And that college football playoff ranking matters for the SEC team that's going to get that New Year's Six bowl game. And Dan Mullen doesn't want to be playing in the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl. He doesn't want to be playing in the Liberty Bowl. I, he won't fall that far. But he wants to be in the New Year's Six Bowl. So trust me, covering the spread is going to be really important, if not winning the game. And listen, Alabama is not going to be stopped. I am going to have a huge write-up on Action Network. Uh, I probably had to force myself and quit writing about it. But, you know, a few highlights about what's going to happen here. I mean, the Clemson, Crimson, Crimson Tide – uh, have cruised at 72.2% of available yards this season. The national average is 44%. I mean, they're just shy of doubling available yards, which is if you start at your 20-yard line, you got 80 yards available. Alabama's just putting up unbelievable offensive numbers, and I don't think that's going to be stopped by Florida. With Florida, you're looking at 95th in tackling, 87th against the rush and success rate, 97th against pass explosiveness, against Devonta Smith and John Mechie and Mac Jones, whose adjusted completion rate is actually better when he's pressured, that's craziness. So, uh, you know, I don't – Alabama's going to be able to get whatever they want. And I, I think people will say, well, Care Elam is one of the best cornerbacks in the SEC. He is. He is. And he's shown it as, as, as you know, in the PFF grading, he's one of the best cornerbacks in the nation. And he's going to get assigned to Devonta Smith. And I think those of you that – have a Heisman ticket on Devonta Smith, need to realize that he has a shutdown corner on him. Now, whether that's going to stop him, we'll see. But an NFL-level cornerback is going to be covering Smith. So I think it's going to be a big day for Najee Harris. I think it's going to be a big day for John Mechie. Uh, I think Mac Jones has plenty of targets to hit from uh, you know an Alabama offensive perspective. And when you look at the other side of the ball, that's where I really kind of did a deep dive and say, well, how's Florida going to do this? And 
when I wrote this on paper, I had to kind of like step back and say, I didn't really just say this, did I? But Tennessee lost by 12. Florida won 31 to 19. And why? Because Tennessee decided to have two safeties and pull, put extra corners on the field and put them in the slot against Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney. Alabama has Malachi Moore. He ranks top 30 in all FBS by defenders by slot coverage per PFF. That's huge. I think Malachi Moore is going to draw the Kyle Pitts assignment, and that's just going to be a good on good, and maybe it deflates Kyle Pitts' numbers a little bit. I think Kadarius Toney has a monster, monster game here. You mentioned Sertain. You mentioned some other things where the pass defense can be a little susceptible. That's where Florida is going to have success. Alabama is not going to be stopped. I think this game is an over game all the way. I think Alabama team total 45 uh, is an absolute hit. This has got 50 burger written all over it. Even if it's like, you know, 43, 44 points in the fourth quarter, I think Saban will still try to score. Florida first half is at 10 last I looked. That's a huge number. So I like Florida plus 10 in the first half. I took Florida plus – I would take Florida plus 17 – uh, I think Alabama team total over 45. I think those are all the plays that you should hit. Love it. Uh, we have tons of write-ups. I mean, we have so much info that's going out on the Action app for all of these games, for all of our college football contributors, myself and Colin as well. So make sure you check all that out. Uh, I'm excited for this weekend. And, yeah, don't forget, Florida's elite special teams units. I don't think it'll decide the game, but it definitely could decide the cover. It's Bama's special teams – not elite. Uh, Devontae Smith could house one, but Florida is the better special teams. Um, all right, before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, first down, let's talk college football playoff predictions real quick. The question I have for you, what is your final predictions? And the my main question is, if Notre Dame beats Clemson, and maybe I'm just starting to get a little itch there. If Notre Dame beats Clemson and then Florida loses to Alabama, Ohio State wins, Notre Dame is in, Ohio State is in, Alabama's in, and let's say Iowa State beats Oklahoma. Are you taking the two-loss Clemson, the two-loss Iowa State with a Big 12 title, or Texas A&M, who is going to beat Tennessee this weekend? Does Iowa State jump in there? Do they just say, F everyone, we're taking Clemson again? I will stick that's by the this. fast. That's the most fascinating scenario, right? If Iowa it State is. wins and Notre Dame wins, playing Team Chaos on Twitter is fun. Like people's opinions are hilarious about this, but the committee does not think like the rest of us, and the committee doesn't look at the same numbers that I do. So I will tell you, if I was to put myself in the shoes of the committee, the real question is: is if Notre Dame upsets Clemson, who gets in in the fourth spot? And I will tell you, it's Texas A&M. And the reason why it's Texas A&M is because of one stat: the loss column. That's it. They've never put a two-loss team in. When Ohio State had two losses and won the Big Ten, and they took an 11-1 Alabama at large that didn't win the SEC, that didn't even play an SEC championship game, the committee set a standard right there that if you have two losses, we don't want you in the playoff. We will take a one-loss team even if it's an at-large. That at-large team is Texas A&M. Do they deserve to be in there? Absolutely not. And by the way, I think Tennessee could be Texas A&M in the Jefferson Pilot spot. But – I absolutely wow. not. I don't. I ooh, just check out. Just you know, be careful on the app. You may see a Tennessee bet come over, which I promise I'd never do again. Texas A&M would be the one to get in with one loss. 
uh, it, you would have, you know, I, I, that supersedes two lost conference champions. That has already been met. Now, if you're asking me for my official prediction, they're going to see Bama and Notre Dame down New Orleans in the Sugar Bowl. And you're going to see Clemson and Ohio State out of the Rose Bowl. All right, uh, second down, name your favorite non-championship game bet. Okay. Uh, I'll just throw out, I actually show value in the Army over. I don't know if I'm going to bet it, but I, I would not bet it at 37 and a half. I would only bet it at 37, key number for 2017. Uh, I also like Florida State, if you can get seven, and Ole Miss. I make that over three, and LSU has a bunch of injuries. What's your favorite or favorite? The, you can name a couple if you want, non-championship game bets. The touts and the trends are going to kill you with this Army over here, this Army Air Force over. They're, they're not going to believe that you said that. So and Sometimes <laughs> the market finally – I have made it 35 last week, but this it's, you don't have a Navy office in here, and the market is just over-adjusting at this point. Yeah. Um, should be around 40. Yeah, I, I'm prepared for a 2021 to come around. You and I are podcasting for the Action Network, and we're talking about Army-Navy overs. I'm, I'm already prepared for that. I don't know how Army is an underdog. I don't understand that whatsoever. They dominate both sides of the ball and line yards, uh, trench numbers that we talk about all the time. Army's better. Uh, they don't have hangovers or letdowns. They're playing at home. Uh, this is for the commander-in-chief. I don't know how Army's an underdog. Not only do I make them a favorite, they dominate in line yards. So I, I put a bet in on Army. Wisconsin, listen, how is Wisconsin, after everything they've done, a 12-and-a-half-point favorite? And I can see that odds makers are taking an assload of Minnesota money after that they beat Nebraska. And this Wisconsin line at a dead number in 12-and-a-half isn't moving. Uh, somehow Graham Mertz and the offense is going to figure it out, probably put up a huge spot on Minnesota. And then tell me how. You tell me how Arizona State is like outside the top 120 and defending rushing success rate, and they're going to stop Jamar Jefferson from running for Oregon State. Oregon State. Yeah, he's back. Yeah, 9.30 Central time, last game of the night. That is your underdog money line play. I, actually, I take that back. I picked somebody else for our underdog money line. But I'm telling you, Oregon State's going to win that game. They have no answer for Jamar Jefferson uh, as far as Arizona State's defense is concerned. Well, that's a good segue into our third down. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Before we get out of here, let's talk our underdog Moneyline Parlays. No New Mexico for you. Great hit last week. I, uh, I'm i going to change it up here. I was going to go Florida State, this fraud wake team. Let's get a little crazy. Team Chaos is 2020. Let's go fight in Irish. Play the theme song, Notre Dame. Oh, Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. From glen to glen and down the mountainside. I love it. I got a feeling. And how bad are we fading uh, Trevor Lawrence? Well, Trevor Lawrence won't play, but how bad are we fading uh, Clemson in a non-New Year's Six Bowl? Uh, Oh, boy. (laughs) Yeah, I I like that a lot. You are taking the double-digit dog. I did that last week, so this week I'll go a little bit shorter. I'm going to stick with what I said earlier. Uh, Oregon is going to beat USC outright. Uh, But if you're looking for a juicier round, Robin, I don't mind throwing Oregon State in there. But, uh, yeah, Oregon Ducks for me. Uh, Pac-12 champions with a 4-2 record. Unreal. Uh, all right, we'll have that written up on ActionNetwork.com, the Action Network app. Appreciate everyone getting through the regular season with us. Conference championships now, bowl season is upon us. Then the playoffs. Uh, we have tons of episodes coming, starting with 
one that'll be out Monday morning. Uh, we'll talk about the first wave of bowl games. Uh, make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again, tell a friend, tell an enemy, leave a review. We have tons of giveaways coming this week for the bowl preview episodes. Appreciate y'all listening. Let's have another big weekend after last weekend. We'll catch y'all on Twitter and uh, Monday morning. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.